Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm Stuart Garlick and uh, we're looking back in a moment at the Formula E Diria E Prix. I'm talking with Toby Bloom, uh, German motorsport journalist for eformel.de. How are you doing, Toby? Hi, Stuart. So good to speak to you again. I'm, I'm doing good, thank you. Really happy the season break is over. It's been a long six months and yeah, I'm... I'm still buzzing from that last weekend and already looking forward and i was still we we're talking about diria but already looking forward to to mexico so it's all yeah it's 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 gone by in in, in no time uh the diria ypres and i'm still yeah i'm, I'm glad the new season's underway yeah, it's it's something of a rarity to only have two weeks between races in Formula E, with the, with the calendar being uh, somewhat less crowded than Formula One. And uh, we we were sort of uh, reminiscing about Sebastian Vettel's comments last season, which were along the lines of "Oh God, not another Formula One race." Um, do, do you like the two week break between the, the sorry the one week break between races, or would you rather have a bit more time to sort of let things ferment? From a fan perspective, and from a sporting perspective, and yeah it's in terms of of the dramatic uh yeah it, it's more dramatic maybe for fans um i think it's it's good from a sporting perspective me covering the race in, in the live blog for eformal.de for example um i could do with another week in between um juggling it yeah all other commitments in in private life as well um the two weeks are okay um Personally, I'd prefer three weeks between the two races. Um, that said, I, I of course much prefer a two-week break between races to um, a five-week break between races, which we're going to be having between Mexico and Rome. Uh, I think that March, month of March, when nothing's going to be happening in FE, uh, is, is a bit going to be, be a bit long. Um, but still, yeah, two weeks are okay. I'd prefer three though. Well, uh, not wishing to sound too much like the stonks meme here, but uh, surely the, solu- the solution is, if you're struggling to balance your work with your private life with your hobby, just don't have a private life. You'll be fine. Don't have a private life. Yeah. Why did I never think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, exciting race at the weekend and um, a bit less eventful for all the wrong reasons than last season's. Um, there, um, last last season, to remind listeners, there was uh, the Alex Lynn crash that wasn't really televised and but was circulated through through a bunch of uh, horrible videos online and there was, um, he, he was fine in the end. Um, there was a suspected uh, thwarted missile attack just outside of Riyadh as the race was going on and um, there was also plenty of political intrigue around uh, Saudi for other reasons. The political intrigue remains but actually the spectacle was okay this time, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was really good motorsport that, that we saw. Of course, I know you talked about the new qualifying format in previous episodes as well. Um, that, in my opinion, worked really well um, and we had competitive uh, races uh, on, on Friday and Saturday. Um, so in, from a sporting point of view, I think Formula E had a really good start into 2022. Uh, talking about winners and losers, obviously, literally, the winners were Mercedes and Venturi. But um, I, I think figuratively as well, that Mercedes powertrain is still the pre- preeminent powertrain in Formula E. Um do you think that there is time in this uh, nine-month season for uh, anyone? Sorry, it's an um, eight-month season for anyone to uh, overhaul that, or are, are we going to see, uh, if not a Mercedes dominant season, then certainly a Mercedes powertrain? Um, um, well, a season where they're overwhelmingly uh, the uh, teams to look at, Mercedes and Venturi. Yeah, I, I think there is. Look. The pace of the Mercedes-powered cars was frightening in Diria. They were so quick. However, they were brilliant in, in Saudi last year as well. I remember Nick de Vries winning each and every session of the first race day. And he maybe would have continued on, on the second race day if the Mercedes-powered cars hadn't uh, been banned for qualifying after that Adam Motara crash in, in free practice mm. last year. Um, so they were good in, in Diria last year, and it 
seems like Saudi or the Riyadh street circuit is one that really suits the Mercedes powertrains for whatever reason. Um, but you're right, Mercedes looks to be having the best powertrain out of the out of everyone at the moment. But after that Diria domination in 2021, there were other circuits where Mercedes struggled. And I'm not afraid of a, a sort of silver domination uh, now, uh, at least, um, because I still see potential for other teams um, to be better on other circuits. Andretti was really good uh, with their BMW package. Envision with the Audi package was doing okay in, mm -hmm. in, in Diria as well. And I think their time will come at a later point in the season. Um, so for now, I'm not scared of a Mercedes domination um, because I, I'm still optimistic about the other teams um, that will be there to profit once Mercedes sort of stumbles uh, on other circuits. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it maybe shouldn't have been a surprise the speed of the bright green envisions um, over the weekend, but uh, France really uh, took up the mantle um, in in the in the first race, and uh, Ca Cassidy did pretty well across the weekend as well. Nick Cassidy. I mean, um, I, I think I think it's well known now that they that they are sort of uh, you know for years and years they they've they've been excellent, albeit maybe overlooked by the uh, top level of motorsport talents um, and um, yeah um, really stability within Envision Racing has uh, has paid dividends there in terms of same powertrain same team principle uh, same drivers and um, I think they're pretty much the, uh, the the only team with the exception of Mercedes to be able to say that there's you know nothing going on behind the scenes to worry about there do you think that's helped them? I think the stability really helps them, yeah. The only thing that changed between seasons was the name and the colour of the car. Um, by the way, how, how do you like the? How did you like the, the, the Envision livery? Uh, because opinions differ. Uh, yeah, some love it, the green, and some hate, absolutely hate it. How did you like it? Um, I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm the the thing that I'm not so keen on is that uh, the best liveries this season in Formula E um, are those of Envision and Andretti, and they're and they're both in deference to new blockchain based sponsors. Um, <laughs> in in my opinion, uh, blockchain stroke stroke crypto sphere, you know, it, it's. Um, regardless of how clean you make the smart contracts um, or whatever, it's going to be damaging in some way to the environment. You, you could say so are electric cars because they still use electricity. You could uh, you, you could drill down and make all kinds of small men for small men straw men for this. Um, I've, where is my diction today? But. Um, I think that uh, it, it's it's difficult to get excited about blockchain and crypto in what's supposed to be an environmentally friendly sport. But a bit like the cigarette companies in F1 in the 80s and 90s, it's nice that they've brought some cool car colours with them, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but in, in sporting terms, you're absolutely right. I, I underestimated uh, Robin Freins for a long time in Formula E because during his time with the Andretti team in 2016, 17, that sort of t time span, um, he didn't have a great car uh, underneath him. And now that he's switched to uh, first known as Virgin, now Envision um, with the Audi powertrain, he can be a regular contender for race victories. And it's been a long time since he last won i think 2019 right in in wasn't it in new york 2019 the last time he won a race uh, so it's about time that i think Robin right. Fines returns um to the top step of the podium um yeah yeah I, I underestimated them for a long time and i hope that we get to to see uh yeah envision at the top of 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 the podium once again this year Absolutely, and um, yeah, for for all that uh, for all that they missed Sam Bird's experience with his move to Jaguar, I don't feel like Nick Cassidy is a downgrade on Bird. That's my opinion. But what are your thoughts on Cassidy as a driver? 
I love him as a driver. Uh, he, he is so committed, and I'm I'm really happy the, that we we in Europe get to see him because he's been doing amazing in Japan in the last couple of years. Um, before he joined Formula E and DTM, and every car he steps foot in, uh, he seems to be competitive in. And uh, yeah, he started from pole position in Rome last year. I remember that well when he binned in turn three. Um, so he is overdue greater success in Formula E as well. Um, but that said, everyone in Formula E uh, deserves success because everyone sort of does seem to have the potential. Um, but you're right, Cassidy absolutely is one we need to keep an eye on this year as well. Yeah. Um, another person uh, who maybe we need to keep an eye on, but perhaps for different reasons, and um, I, this this is mo- moving on sadly to the losers from the race tab, um, is Antonio Giovinazzi, um, who um, left Formula One when he was dropped by Alfa Romeo, and uh, he's joined uh, Dragon Penske Autosport. He, he didn't just have a difficult first race. He had the mother of all difficult first races. Um, and um, he, he was at one point, uh, Sam Smith from the race reported, running um, 10 seconds behind the rest of the field in, in race two. Think, things didn't go well. And I, I think it's worth caveating this as ever with the fact that when your first Formula E race is Diria and when you've only had a week of mandatory testing before that, um, and when 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 your team has just uh, taken on a new pair of uh, chief engineers and uh, switched things up at the top of the technical staff, it's going to be extremely difficult. When you add that to having uh, what is thought to be the slowest and oldest powertrain in Formula E, uh, there are a lot of caveats that mean that it's not all Giovinazzi's fault by any stretch of the imagination. But... Um, there, there, there is a list fermenting uh, in the back of my mind of uh, worst ever Formula E debuts. I'm thinking Jacques Villeneuve um, in season two being somewhere near the mm. top, and maybe you could add to that as well. But um, the difference is very few people expected anything of Jacques Villeneuve. He was already in his early 40s when he joined Formula E, and um, uh, he, he'd already done everything with Giovinazzi. It was seen as being, yes, an experienced hire of a good driver who's done well in the junior um, levels of motorsport, but also someone who could hit the ground running. So what happened there? Inexperienced happened, I think. Um, You touched on, on the test he had before the season, and that test wasn't even complete. Uh, the thing is, all other drivers, with the exception of... Antonio Giovinazzi and Dan Tictum had three days of preseason testing. Gio and Tictum had to travel to, funnily enough, Saudi Arabia for the uh, penultimate rounds of the F2 and F1 mm. championships. And Diria for Antonio was pretty much that third test. And I was really happy that he sort of went into the weekend with that very work ethic uh, that he saw the Diria Ypres as a test for himself um, in terms of pace of course it, it wasn't great uh, it said that he was lapping uh, yeah 10 se- or no, not lapping 10 seconds behind the rest of the field but had dropped back 10 seconds uh, compared to the next best driver on, on Saturday I think on Friday he might have yeah, that, that safety car saved him from being lapped um, on on Friday. So yeah, his yeah starting to the season wasn't great, um, but it was what I expected. Um, he saw Diria as a test, and he seemed when you listen to colleagues who were there, or uh, when you just hear what he had to say uh, on tape. Um, he seemed to approach Effie with the right work ethic. He is realistic about the Dragon powertrain. He's realistic about what sort of success he might be celebrating in Effie this year. And I'll tell you that much, it isn't much success uh, that he's going to be having this year. Uh, mm-hmm. So he is in for a difficult year, yes. Um, but I'd still say his 
debut weekend in FE was that of a typical rookie. The sort of weekend we saw from Dan Tickton as well. Oliver Askew, um, swiftly moving back for, for just a second mm -hmm, to the mm -hmm. winners of the week weekend. He didn't have a typical rookie weekend. He was amazing in that Andretti car. Um, so he, yeah, he scored... Yeah, almost scored twice. Uh, I think the second race he came, uh, he ch crossed the line in, in P11. Um, so Askew didn't have a typical rookie weekend, but Antonio Giovinazzi did. And I think come, yeah, Berlin or Vancouver, Jakarta, that sort of phase of the year, if he's still around uh, mm -hmm. and if he doesn't decide to leave the team, uh, I think we're going to be seeing a better version of, of Antonio in FE. Well, um, the, the the ideal thing for Formula E um, as as a global uh, form of motorsport would be if Antonio Giovinazzi could uh, find his GP2 form again um, and really kick on and um, and and uh, bec become the um, team leader for Dragon. I that seems like a long way away at the moment, but uh, you know, Sergio Sete Camera is. I think a good benchmark for him um, because Sete Camera is is always going to give you a, a, a seven out of ten performance. Uh, he's he's more likely than not to give you unexpected speed in one of the qualifying sessions, and he, he's he's just a good measure of a driver that uh, if if you come from F one, you can hopefully expect to be beating on occasions uh, during a season. Um, whether or not that happens this season with the upheaval at Dragon is is a different matter. And of course, we need to bear in mind um, what I guess we can call Jay Penske's itchy trigger finger. Do, do you think Giovinazzi needs to worry about that, given his profile and given how much Dragon want him to work out? I'm not even sure it's Jay Penske's itchy tr trigger finger. It's mostly been his drivers deciding to leave. <laughs> think back to Brendan Hartley, for example, yeah. or another one of the debutants that had a dismal first race weekend. Uh, of course, Neil Jani back in Hong Kong 2017 mm. or 18 with that very Dragon Squad. And he decided after two races, oh my God, I'm not doing this again with this team. I am leaving and waiting for Porsche to join. Uh, and then, yeah, he had another dismal season with them. Um, but that's a different story. Um, so, yeah, in the past, it, at least in my impression, uh, the drivers were the ones deciding to leave. Um, maybe with the exception of, of indeed, uh, Max Günther, um, mm. who... Uh, was was kicked out for Felipe Nazar back then, um, and when Nazar himself decided, well, I'm not staying with Dragon, uh, I'm going back to prototype racing where he's doing amazing. Um, uh, Max Günther could rejoin the team. The thing about both Gio and Sete Camara is that I would love to see them perform in a higher quality car in FE and mm. in a more competitive car. Um, because when Max Günther was still racing with Dragon, we saw a couple of stand-up performances, but he rarely made the top 10. And then he switched to BMW and set the world alight. And I am absolutely sure that if Sergio Satakamera was to do the same, if he, for example, switches between this season and next to, oh, name another team, uh, Andretti. Yeah. Um, he would do really well as well in in another team um so it's I, i'm i'm sure that, yeah the powertrain side of things is limiting the drivers at dragon at the moment the most um i want to circle around to dan tictum again because uh, i b before the season started um obviously most of the social media chatter was around um his uh, well, well deserved reputation for attracting controversy, um, and you, you know anyone who's interested can Google that. But I, um, I, I think that there, there are a lot of people, um, including the man himself, and well, including me, if I'm honest, who would really like the Dan Tictum uh, redemption arc to start here. And um, I felt enthused by the way that he performed in the Neo Three Three Three. 
th this is no longer the patched together team that ran um, a uh, se season four, season five powertrain in se in season uh, six. They're they're now um, properly competitive, smaller team who can well pull something out of the box on occasion. Although last season they relied a bit on the uh, vagaries of qualifying to to get up um, among the manufacturers this season they haven't got that there's a much more stratif stratified qualifying format um and um but but they but they have got uh, two drivers who are going to be on it in every race um what did you make of Tictum's learning experience in that first race obviously he was faster than turvey on occasions oliver turvey um first of all is turvey still a good benchmark for Tictum? and uh, where should we be expecting him to be this season i think ollie turvey is one of the best teammates to have as a rookie because he has the reputation, also in other categories, uh, of being a brilliant test driver, of really understanding the car. Of course, he has an academic background in engineering as well. And hmm. <clears throat> Oliver Turvey is a brilliant teammate to have. He, of course, also is the driver with the most starts without a race win in Formula E. I think he was second once in, in Mexico in season three or four. Um, but that's about it for, for Oliver Turvey. Um, I think he is a good benchmark, and I think Dan Tictum did a really good job of matching that benchmark because right from the get-go, maybe not FP1 or FP2, but in qualifying, he was able to match his far more experienced teammate, Oliver Turvey, um, even on, on Friday. And that sort of yeah underlines how how much talent is in that young man. And uh, I, I think if he gets more experience in Formula E, he's he's not gonna. It's not gonna be long until he matches Turvey in the races as well. And then we have a really good intra-team battle within Year Three Three Three. Um, but you're right uh, with your, your your thought on on the organization of of the team. Um, I remember in 2019 when that Li Shang Shanghai Racing organization joined. Mm. Um, the team was in a proper identity identity crisis. Um, I remember the CEO of the team saying it's more important to be Chinese than to be successful. Mm. And that sort of has changed. Yes, Neo 333 is still the Chinese national team in Formula E, if you will. Um, but they are keen on success and have done the right steps in that direction um to be more successful in future seasons of course the freezing of powertrain homologations between years hasn't helped them they're still running the same hardware as is each and every other team on the grid uh, mm. as last year um so that hasn't helped them um but i think neo are on the way up and the, I, I like the trajectory neo has taken and uh, yeah, with that in mind, I think Dan Tictum, it's not going to be long for him uh, to match Oli Turvey and then to yeah, maybe score a couple of points in the future. And um, it's just interesting how far they've come in a couple of seasons. I, I remember when uh, when when Neo stepped back to being a sponsor of the team and when, and when Li Sheng Automotive took over, my, my, my thought was that uh, the only reason for the team staying in the sport was because it was more valuable to have the franchise slot than to just leave and let the franchise slot be open uh, because you could sell it on. But um, now I, re I really think that they're good for much more than selling it on. I, fe I feel like... Um, uh, as a as a small quasi independent team, I know Neo is a manufacturer, but as a effectively three 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 produce that powertrain at their own factory, so we can say they're an independent in that sense. Um, I I feel like they're they're well organised and they've got the right people at the top as well. I mean, Christian Silk uh, was the engineering director until the end of last year he left to focus on um master's study and to uh, become an environmentalist funnily enough but uh, they've now got russell o'hagan taking over his position and um he, he's he's another career engineer who will uh, know how to steer the team I, I just feel like they've got good people in there yep you're right they've got good people they've got an idea they've got a vision where they want to be in in 12 months time and uh, yeah, I, I know we're all 
yeah, unbiased journalists, but I think it's okay if we wish them the best of luck uh, in that quest, um, because I don't think anybody wants to see Neo not be successful. Uh, they deserve it, especially with the kind of budget they have. Um, I know there's budget cap coming in, in Formula E um, in the next year, uh, or by the end of this year even, um, but, but one of the limiting factors in the past was that the major OEMs, the Porsches, the Audis, the Mercedeses, the whatever, Nissans, just had more money available to them, and Neo yeah, sort of dropped to the back because of not having the kind of money that others were willing to spend on their Formula E program. So I think that is another factor that's going to help the team in, in the future, uh, everyone having a cost cap and, and, and the cost cap being in place in FE. Um, I, I just hope Neo are going to be more competitive if we speak again in, in 12 months' time. Um, for the sake of the sport, um, I think it's good to have competitive teams on the grid. Shall I tell you something else that's good for the sake of the sport, Toby? Tell me. Motion E Plus, that's good for the sake of the sport. Um, so Motion E Plus is uh, the new thing that um, I have created for Motion E. Um, essentially, we're not doing the Motion E Patreon anymore. All of the exclusive articles, all of the um, deep dives and long reads and, um, and interviews with personalities within Formula E and electric vehicles will now be part of Motion E Plus. Uh, the idea is that you can have everything for one price. Uh, you don't need to worry about level uh, about the different uh, tiers within Patreon. And uh, for four euros fifty a month, or I think that works out as three pounds seventy six uh, GBP, um, you can um, you can subscribe to everything, and uh, you can also uh, email me um, at the address on the website with any suggestions or requests for articles as well. And for podcast guests so um, um, I'm absolutely stoked about this and um, I hope that as many of you as possible will take a look uh, the website is motione.org forward slash plus if you want to take a look at what's up there and find out more about how to sign up um, but uh, First two articles on Motion E Plus are an, are an exclusive with Lucas Degrassi, which we'll come to later. But also, I've deep dived into the reasons, or why I think the reasons are, for the um, apparent decline over the last season and a bit of Nissan Edams. So. Let's take ourselves back to season five, the 2018-19 season. Uh, Nissan Edams had that incredible twin motor powertrain, um, asymmetric twin motor with uh, one motor uh, directly feeding the wheels and the other one thought to possibly be providing extra energy for the battery, which is where the controversy comes in. But that was banned at the end of that season after they'd set five pole positions and taken one win. Looking at that season five, that kind of looks like the high watermark for Nissan Edams now. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder, as I've written in the article, whether they should have made more hay then and really taken advantage. Um, they had a few issues going into that season. I know it's a long time ago, but um, Alex Albon was supposed to be driving for them. They had to uh, replace him when he moved to F1, meaning Sebastian Buemi did pretty much all the testing that week in Valencia. And uh, that, looking at it, seems to have set their development back a little bit in that uh, they had great qualifying pace but weren't always able to hold on to it in the race which is the kind of thing you can fix if you do lots of race runs with two cars on track at the same time. Um, going forward, Season 6 was good for them as well, um, but uh, obviously they'd lost the advantage from their from their powertrain. They had a more conventional single-motor powertrain. Um, season 7 was an, was an anus horribilis for them. They uh, uh, didn't, didn't score um, a pole position. They got... Um, I think they did get a pole position actually uh, with Oliver Rowland, but uh, they 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 weren't they weren't among the winners that season. And um, Sebastian Buemi got um, twenty points to Oliver Rowland seventy one, so um, nowhere near where they wanted to be. And they had they had a weekend without any point scores at all in Diria. So um, 
I've written in the article why I think Nissan Edams has uh, fallen behind the curve and a lot of the reason actually goes back to that powertrain development and uh, there's just been a knock-on domino effect of because they had to completely redesign their powertrain for season six. They, they've just been behind the curve on R&D as Mercedes have really become the preeminent force there. Um, but um, are there other reasons, in your opinion, um, as to why Nissan EDAMs have fallen back so much? And uh, also, can they recover? And, well, can Sebastian Wemmy find the driver that he was in there somewhere? I think you're absolutely right about the powertrain thing, if I just may add that, um, because they had to develop their season six powertrain in no time. Um, when that twin motor was banned, other teams were far into their development for season six and Nissan sort of had to yeah, throw away all their, their twin motor plans for the, for the next season and start from scratch. And I think that is the main factor limiting, having limited um, Nissan in the last few years. Um, and in, in 2021, it was mainly Oliver Rowland, as you rightly say, who was the one collecting the points. He was regularly outperforming the car. Um, especially if you keep in mind what kind of success uh, Sebastian Wemmy had in the past. He's a brilliant driver himself. He won the Formula E championship uh, in season two. So he is, yeah, we all know how good he is. And he sort of, yeah, he couldn't extract the kind of performance Ollie Rowland uh, could from, from that powertrain. So I think Ollie did outperform the car. And now with Max Günther in it, he's a good driver himself. Um, but at least in Dira, he, yeah, he hasn't found the magic trick that uh, Ollie Rowland seems to have found last year. So I would also say the technology side of things, the Nissan part of the operation, was the main factor limiting their success in the past. But maybe also the operational EDAM side of things. I know DAMS is an ex incredibly experienced team, not only in FE, but also in other championships, Formula 2, uh, to name just one of them. And Francois Sicard, who's the team manager, uh, he knows all about motorsport. But oddly enough, and I'm not sure if that's a coincidence or if that maybe really played a role, um, the start of the decline of Nissan and especially of Edams started with the passing of, of the late great Jean-Paul Driot. He was the team principal for both Dams and Edams um, yeah, and, and, until uh, he passed away in, in 2019. Hmm. And afterwards, his sons, Olivier and Gregory, took over operations of the team. And they are doing a good job. They're doing the best they can, but maybe it's the experience they're lacking. I don't know if that is a factor, as I say, of, or if that's a coincidence, but I think all of those little things played a role and were factors in, in Nissan Edams' decline. Um, about the question on whether they can return to their performance, I hope they do, although I'm not too optimistic for this season. I am sure Nissan and Edams are working flat out already on the Gen 3 powertrain. It should be in about two months' time, maybe three months, so around April or May, that their Gen 3 powertrain should yeah, move from the testing bench into an actual Gen 3 chassis and that Nissan will start testing um, their Gen 3 car. And the only hope for them is, as, as bland as that sounds, the only hope is that this Gen 3 powertrain is better than the current Gen 2 powertrain. Otherwise, I think other teams... Yeah, I think otherwise Nissan is going to be continuing to fall behind other teams. Well, yeah, indeed, and um, I, I would, I would totally agree with what, with what you said. I, I, I would say that um, they were 
held up somewhat by COVID supply chain issues, which really no one could have predicted or solved um, in terms of their new powertrain being introduced late last season. But even when it came, the new powertrain wasn't really up to snuff compared to Mercedes, uh, for example. Um, and um, it, it didn't provide them the competitive boost that they were really looking for. Um, certainly something needs to happen there. And um, I, I, I wonder if maybe this might be the um, last season in Formula E for Sebastian Buemi. I've got no... Um, I, I've got no rumours or evidence to suggest that he's about to be replaced, but... Um, if he decided that, uh, you know, he was having all this success in uh, WEC with Toyota and he wanted to focus on um, a future career in endurance racing, could anyone really blame him? And uh, if so, do Nissan have any young emerging talents that they might want to see in the car? Mm, I can't think of any any names on the Nissan roster yet. Um, yeah, but I feel the same way about it may be being one of the last, if not the last season of Seb in, in FE because it's been a long time since it was properly successful. I think that same race that Freins won or that same weekend that Freins won in New York, I think it was a double header. One of the races was won by Freins. Uh, the yeah. other one was won by Buemi. So his last race win is dating back to 2019 as well. Mm. The difference of between himself and, and Freins being, of course, Robin Freins continued to regularly score podiums and collect points. Buemi on the other side sort of yeah drop down to the top 20 or top 15 of formula e and he's had a not so good time in the last month uh, sorry last year and a bit <sighs> for the sake of his career i of course hope that he sort of maybe something is going to click this year um whether that's realistic or not i'm not sure um you're you're right. Nissan and Edams will have to reevaluate. I think their their driver pairing for Gen Three. I know that Max Günther joined the team with the expectation of being involved in the Gen Three testing program. Um, he said before the start of the season that one of the main reasons he decided for the for a move to Nissan was that he wanted to be involved again with a major manufacturer, just like he's been with BMW in the last few years. So I, I'm I think depending on how good things go this year, Max Günther is hoping and realistically hoping as well for being involved in in the Gen Three program. Um, Buemi. I'm not so sure at the moment, but time will tell. Indeed, indeed. Um, and um, you could say that his his rivalry through the Gen 1 Formula E era with Lucas Degrassi um, looked like continuing into Gen 2, but actually Degrassi, um, for multiple circumstances, um, has been able to stay at the front much more easily than Buemi has and um, he's now moved to Venturi and been given that Mercedes powertrain and he, he has he had a weekend um, well not quite a weekend to dream of but certainly an excellent weekend uh, for his new team um, I've I've written an interview with him on Motion E Plus and I, I'm interested to get your take Toby on um, that Degrassi Mortara driver combination because we, we we saw the personality differences between them on the podium after race two. Uh, Mortara was the winner of that race, and um, he's he's such a straight down the line sort of uh, bashful, um, quiet chap. He he gets on with things uh, without too much fuss, and you could see that in his celebrations and. Uh, Degrassi, who, you know, all credit to the guy, he finished third. Uh, he deserved to celebrate as much as everyone else, but he was wrapping himself in the Brazilian flag. He was posing <laughs> for photos with his teammate. And, uh, you know, he, he seemed to be very keen to make a big fuss of it for, for everyone concerned, for himself, for Venturi and for, for his teammate. Um, it, it, was, it was nice to see all that happiness on the podium, but I felt it showed um, really 
the much more demonstrative nature of the new guy who's come in compared to his teammate. Um, now, they're, they're not that far apart in age. Mortara's 35, Degrassi's 37. They're both very experienced competitors and both very nuggety racers, very very willing to defend their ground, um, um, e- even if it uh, means problems for others. Um, and we saw that in race two, but... If you put them in the Myers Briggs test, I bet they would have opposite results. Um, what do you What do you think they talk about in the motorhome? Oh God! Yeah, you're right. They they are different personalities. Um, I think the one thing that they might be talking about is is their families. I I, I always mm-hmm. yeah. My, in my impression, they are family men and really enjoy spending time with their families. Um, but you're right. Lucas Degrassi is a bit more outgoing, and maybe that's the South American, um, yeah, flair that he's bringing to the team. On the other side, Edo, of course, is half Italian, so I don't know why he'd be less have less temperament. Um, so I have no idea what they're going to be talking about. Maybe they're their children. Maybe. nice places to spend holidays at (laughs) i don't know yeah but it's just it's it's just such an interesting and febrile febrile combination i'm i'm so looking forward to seeing how that team does and venturi there was always something that would hold it back from the ultimate uh, success that um, that that maybe it looked like it deserved in previous seasons. Whether whether that was uh, uh, battery issues, lack of uh, strategic nous, whether that was uh, you know one one of the drivers going for a low percentage move and ha- and having an accident. But I I just feel like they've got the driver combination and they've got the uh, backing in terms of financial backing uh, in the team now and in terms of the management structure of the team which I know we were talking about before the podcast they, they look so professional this season and um, I, I also love a black car as well this goes back to the 98 arrows so uh, there are so many reasons to look out for Venturi but do, do you feel they look more professional than ever and more able to sustain a title challenge than ever? I think they do. Um, if you just think back to sort of season three, Venturi ended up second last only to Jaguar. Um, however, that happened, but I mean, it was their first year. Uh, so Jaguar finished the season in last position and then came Venturi. And now look where they are now. I th- I think it's really interesting the way that uh, the, that Venturi took in the last few years, preparing the Mercedes entry, teaming up with ZF uh, to develop powertrains, then um, being the de- delivering powertrains out to HWA who were preparing the Mercedes entry, so on and so forth. Now they're the Mercedes customer team, and that's only half of the story. Um, so, from a technological point of view, Venturi has come a really long way. But you're right; the organization itself changed dramatically as well. Um, Susie Wolf joined the team two years ago as as a team principal. She did a good job of sort of bringing Venturi on a, on a good trajectory. And now, Jerome D'Ambrosio, himself an extremely experienced Formula E ex-driver. Uh, he knows the championship inside out. I had the pleasure of speaking with him. I think the in in twenty nineteen it was when when Mahindra launched their car uh, in Hockenheim, which isn't too far from where I live. And mm. I talked f- with him for two hours straight over dinner, and I still think about that evening because he was such an impressive personality of course he was a driver back then and still keen on on more success but i'm sure if he approaches his now new job as team boss the same way he'd approached his driver or his his driving role uh, at mahindra uh, i'm sure mahindra will continue to be getting better and better uh, in fe and it seems like that seems to be working so far. His first weekend, a double podium. Uh, what more could you wish for? Um, 
I really like what Venturi, yeah, how Venturi came to where they where where they are now. And, and actually, um, wh- while it shouldn't matter, it actually does. I mean, there are a lot of intelligent racing drivers out there, but. I think the ability to sustain a varied conversation for two hours over dinner is a pretty good indicator that someone's got the intelligence to move up the chain and uh, and, and run a team, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And he wasn't... Uh, the thing that most impressed me about that evening, I don't even know what we talked about. It was mostly racing, of course. But he was interested in what me and the few other colleagues that were there uh, thought about sort of things in in motorsport um it's it's not only not only been formula e we touched on f1 we touched on other championships on private life on on his family um i hope he's okay if i retell that story now here but um, (laughs) uh, i yeah he really impressed me Uh, and that was funnily enough after six years of covering formula e the first time i had an actual proper chat with Jerome. Um, and yeah, as I say, if he approaches his role and job as team boss the same way he approached his uh, role as, as driver for Mahindra back then, um, Venturi are destined for more success. Yeah, um, props to Susie Wolf as well, who obviously ran the team from uh, season four until uh, now and um, um, has has overseen uh, this uh, in, uh, this year-on-year improvement in their fortunes but uh, um, she's now she's still there she's CEO now and uh, working on less of the day-to-day operational side of the team more more on the uh, overall running of it and uh, the the future of it and I, I from the looks of things the two the two of them enjoy working together and they work together well so uh, yeah um, wishing Venturi the best of luck um I want. I wanted to ask you about um, an email that I received. Uh, now, um, I, I should probably credit uh, Chain Bear, the F1 YouTuber, uh, tweeted um, last year. Didn't realise Extreme E stood for Extreme Emails. Now, um, <laughs> they 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 do love a mail out. They do love a newsletter, and I, I can't say I blame them because you've got to promote your sport somehow, and sometimes that involves being a bit aggressive. But uh, Extreme E sent me an email this week uh, talking about uh, where they were going to kick off their season two, and it's going to be uh, in. Um, um, in the desert around the future planned city of Neom. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote, uh, it says, As Extreme E continues to draw breath after a climactic, climactic end of season one, plans are well underway for the season two opener, which begins in the deserts of Neom, Saudi Arabia's Giga project feeling, featuring cognitive cities and a pr- premier visitor destination and inspirational location for all adventure sports. Um, and, and then if you go down the email, um, it uh, says um, uh, Neom has made no secret of its desire to promote sustainability and raise awareness around some of the world's most pressing challenges, such as climate change and nature conservation. Now, um, I, I did a quick search of Wikipedia to find out more about Neom before this podcast. Um one of the things that the Saudi government is accused uh, accused of is uh, uh, attempting to evict and unseat uh, um, a a tribe that has been um, uh, native to that area um, for centuries, the the Hoaitats tribe, um, and so uh, they might have something to argue about in terms of uh, you know generally generally nomadic tribes are pretty good at uh, sustainable living, and maybe they maybe they might argue they have more to teach extreme than uh, a Saudi giga project but um, it, there's been a lot of talk about extreme mission creep it went from being the off-road sport that was meant to uh, raise awareness of climate change in challenged venues to um, seemingly now talking about planned cities and doesn't really matter how sustainable the planned city is you're you're still you're still building on land where there wasn't anything before so what what do, what do you make of the seeming change of uh, change of mission for extreme yeah i have to say i never really bought the argument of, of them being keen on 
preserving nature and conserving sort of wildlife. It's, at the end of the day, it's a marketing exercise, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, just like any other form of motorsport is. Some forms of motorsport have at least technological relevance. Um, in my opinion, Extreme doesn't. Yes, it's extreme environments. Yes, some manufacturers are committing to Extreme E, but that's about it. It's mostly show, it's mostly about producing a good TV product, it's mostly about entertainment. And then you paint that with a bit of environmentalism. Um, but even last year when they were racing in the Al-Ula Desert, um, I didn't buy the argument of them sort of sh trying to shine a spotlight on, on the environmental effects of, of the climate crisis there because they focused on the issue of desertification there. And the last thing that you should be doing when you're worrying about deserts uh, increasing in size is go there and destroy even more soil and sort of, yeah, destroy the ground there. Uh, the thing Extreme E did there uh, was worse than desertification in Al Ula. And yeah, now they're, they're going to Neom, uh, a giga project uh, funded by the Saudi regime. Um, I, I'm, I'm, of course, not from Saudi Arabia, and I also have to add I've never been there, and all my opinions are based on, on the reporting I read and uh, yeah receive here in, in Europe. Um, but it seems like Extreme is mainly yeah jumping on the bandwagon of, uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia using sports to greenwash uh, their uh, human rights record. Hmm. I, I was disappointed with um, the, and I, I think I should couch this opinion in, um, in the fact that uh, Extreme E launched during the worst throws of the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, they did a fantastic job to get any sort of season on especially with the venue changes last last year. Um, the issue I had was not with where it went or what it did it was with the coverage because um, as as someone who considers myself a motorsport journalist, I like to cover things live. I, I like to cover what I can actually see and Obviously, the unique concept of Extreme was that, uh, you know, 99% of uh, media would stay at home and cover it from there because that's more environmentally friendly. So um, that that's what I gladly did. But watching that first race on TV, I was upset to note that many of the practice sessions, in fact, I think all except the final, were uh, screened with either a 10-minute or even two-hour delay, some of them. Um, and... I, I think I commented to you at the time that uh, um, I, I wanted to live blog on live sports rather than, you know, effectively um, live commenting on a movie or on an episode mm -hmm. of Gladiators or something. And um, I, I could see that Formula E was uh, maybe extremeifying its qualifying a little bit because they decided to screen the battles with a slight delay on the first one so that they could show them both uh, um, side by side. Great for TV, great for the viewers, but uh, in terms of reporting verbatim on what's happening, it made it more difficult for me. How did you feel about that? Yeah, the same way. I have to say we, we took the editorial decision at eFormity to also stop our our live blogging uh, of, of the Extreme E rounds. I don't personally have that much of a problem with Extreme E delaying their broadcasts. I just have a problem of Extreme E have it, calling their broadcasts live broadcasts. I know they stopped around halfway through season one, um, but the first two rounds, I think, of, of their first season... Uh, for the first two rounds of their first season, they were still calling their YouTube streams live streams. And in fact, they were not live streams. Um, and the fact that the sessions are broadcast delayed 
just yeah it, it wouldn't be truthful to call our coverage live blogging as well um so we just uh plainly stopped it and uh focused on on reports of the sessions uh so we took that editorial decision um i understand of course why they do it um because they do go despite all my my criticism of of where they go they do go to remote locations uh, usually unless you're you're somewhere in in the south of england for the season finale but that's a different story um in season two they they hope to go to more um, remote locations again and it, it, it's of course difficult to get proper wi-fi there and the internet access uh, isn't great where they staged their races in on some sort of glacier in, in greenland or the neon desert the, the wi-fi isn't good there um so they sort of <laughs> need that little bit of a time buffer um to make sure the recorded sessions or the sessions are actually being recorded and sent out into the world and then they yeah say, say okay the the final is the only yeah the only part of the weekend that we can show live um and we build a good tv product around all other sessions of the weekend um but yeah coming back to the original thought of of you um i i also think um having that having sessions take place literally two days before the broadcast uh, sends them out and that was the case with i think the practice session in in england uh, for the season finale i think that took place on thursday and they broadcasted it as and, and yeah labeled as as happening right now uh, on a, on the saturday uh, i'm not a big fan of that and that's the reason why i think it's not possible to cover extreme e um as live as you would as a sports journalist like it mm. like to cover it yeah um and uh, now now that uh, now that the dakar rally uh, has uh, major manufacturers um such as audi coming in with uh, with with fully electric um uh, buggies racing in the top category um obviously the dakar rally and the the uh, the fia cross country championship has a has a much uh, more storied reputation than extreme e so uh, it, it's it's almost as though um the organizers there have uh, have have really uh, tried to double down on the electric side of things uh, almost uh, to to try and head off any competition from extreme e so uh, th- th- there are um issues in the future which extreme e has to try and work through aren't there yep although the the ev purist uh in me says the audi project isn't a proper electric car because they use one of their dtm motors um to charge the battery on the go yes mm. it is powered by only electric power <laughs> but the battery is charged up um by still burning fuel uh, hmm. So in my opinion, it's not a proper electric car. Uh, I'm too much of a purist for that. But I see your point. Yes, I think the T1E class, I think it's called in Dakar, could be uh, a competitor for Extreme E. Yes, the format is ex- is completely different. Extreme E is about sprint races and Dakar is about endurance. Um, that said, I think if you're looking at this simply from from a technology perspective, I think I'd much rather commit myself to Dakar, where I can test my electric powertrain, yeah, on on an endurance run than on on two lap sprint shootouts in Extreme E. Um, so there are questions about the future of Extreme E. I'm sure they're they're not right around the corner, um, but I, I like your thinking. I think Extreme E might need to look at that T1E class um, to yeah make sure it, the championship itself does have a future. Um, one company which is taking part in Extreme E uh, in Season 2, because Zach Brown apparently doesn't like holidays, uh, is McLaren. <laughs> um, and um, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Mr Brown will turn up literally everywhere he has a team next season, just, just like he was this season. But 
Um, so McLaren are taking part in Extreme E. They decided not to take part in Formula E this season, even though the Audi franchise was available to them. That's looking like a wise decision now, because uh, breaking news this week was that... Um, there there have been at least informal talks between McLaren and their F1 uh, um, power unit partner Mercedes uh, that uh, possibly the Team Brackley, uh, as it's being informally known, uh, which is the plan to have a management buyout of the Mercedes Formula E team and rename it something else, might well turn into a McLaren team. That makes sense for all parties, doesn't it? does it's not too far too far from Brackley to uh Woking Woking is where where McLaren is based right uh so it's, it's not too far up the road um they know how to work together uh in, in Formula One uh, of course part of the Formula E operations team of Mercedes has a background in Formula One uh if not if they are not even working at the same time in both championships. So yeah, the link up does make sense for now. Uh, I'm sure if we get into like the little nitty gritty and the detail questions, uh, there are still some, some hurdles to be taken. Um, I think it's not as easy as it sounds, but for now, just looking at those informal talks, uh, it, does seem plausible um, that McLaren and Mercedes could partner up. The general time frame is that McLaren wants to decide uh, whether they enter FE or not by the end of the first quarter of the year. So that'd be by the end of March. And that's pretty much the time frame. I, I touched on the Gen 3 development earlier. That's pretty much the time of the year where manufacturers are going to be starting with that pre-season private secret test programs and hmm. i'm sure mclaren would like to be involved in that as well of course depending on who is going to be supplying the powertrains uh, the manufacturer is going to get priority um and still can decide how yeah how many of, of the testing uh contingent they can they, they want to use um but Generally, end of March sounds like a good place uh, and like a good time, especially uh, to join FE um, because you can already cooperate with your manufacturer for Gen 3, Season 9. This this is where things get a bit messy, though, in that... uh According to most reports from the media, uh, Venturi um, is likely to partner up with, uh, well, with with Stellantis, uh, with with DS Maserati uh, next season, um, and will will either be called DS Venturi or Venturi Maserati or something, something akin to that. Um, so, but but uh, if a team were to move into the Mercedes Formula E uh, franchise slot and potentially take over the factory and give some of the staff jobs ne- for next season, then you would think for Mercedes to do that deal, they would not want another car company um, in the style of Braun GP when um, uh, when when Ross Braun took over the Honda operation. They wouldn't want to. They wouldn't want a rival OEM to take the credit for that. So, does that mean then that they might continue to produce performance powertrains for Formula E and get McLaren to pay for it, or uh, would they allow another company to build McLaren's powertrains and for McLaren to still use uh, formerly their factory space? It's quite quite a messy proposition, isn't it? You mean Mercedes still sort of putting their sticker on on the powertrain that? Oh no, no. I, I mean, uh, um, clearly Mercedes are leaving Formula E and they don't want to be involved in it next season. But then there's a question of if McLaren are taking Mercedes power units in F1, uh, do Mercedes really want McLaren to potentially move into their factory space, their former factory space, and um, you know uh, build a Formula E operation of their own while using someone else's powertrain? Um, th- it's possible. Anything's possible, but it seems like a not terribly messy and joined-up solution. Yeah, it's a really odd relationship triangle. That um, I think that's one of those detail questions that need to be solved before McLaren actually commits to Formula E, uh, because of course by now, and I think we have to stress that nothing's been decided. Uh, loose conversations, as you said. Um, 
there are loose uh, con conversations all the time in, in any paddock. And of course, McLaren is always looking at uh, partners. And uh, yeah, if, you're, you're actually right. I, I think that's that's one of the detailed questions that need to be solved. How is the Mercedes operations team, or let's call them Team Brackley for now, the Team Brackley operations uh, squad going to be involved in that? Um, how much personnel will McLaren uh, provide? How about the powertrain supply? <sighs> so many questions, and I don't think I have an answer to them as of right now, I'm afraid. Well well, you, you've given me plenty of answers to plenty of questions. And uh, well, thank, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to uh, have you on the Motion E podcast, Toby Bloom. Um, just to give a plug finally to uh, my website, it's motione.org um, to find everything. If you want to find the exclusive stuff, it's motione.org slash plus. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, motione.org. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you'd like to. Uh, Toby, do you have something that you would like people to read or that you'd like people to listen to or something that you've done that you'd like to promote? Um, I'd first of all like to thank you uh, because it's always such a good time. I, I, we spend about an hour in this podcast and it feels like we've been chatting for the day. And I don't mean that in Aww. a bad way because I just genuinely enjoyed <laughs> this chat with you. I and agree. So thank I you agree. for having me on. Um, I think in terms of promoting stuff, I don't know, uh, my own Twitter account at Toby Tweetings. Um, that's probably the only thing I, I, I would support, uh, promote because all the other stuff I do is in German. So unless you speak German, um, yeah, just follow me on Twitter, I guess. Um, all my written stuff and, and spoken stuff. We have a podcast as well in German. Uh, it's all on eformel.de. Um, yeah, maybe a good opportunity to brush up on your GCSE German as well. Uh, but for now, <laughs> I, I, I think I'd, I'd just plug my own Twitter account at Toby Tweetings. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for talking through Formula E and Extreme E with us, and uh, would would love to have you back later on this season. Oh, I'd love to to return as well. Thank you for having me on.